0: Hey, if you got your Bible with you, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As we're landing our discipleship track series, our Revived to Life discipleship track, 12 weeks every week, we've been writing a chapter to build this discipleship track to use in an ongoing way, and I've been preaching into the topic every week. And today I want to encourage you, I will hopefully challenge you with a topic that I believe is very significantly important to living out your faith, to, to, to becoming a disciple that makes a difference. We want to be a church that builds God's kingdom, we wanna make disciples that make a difference. So before we get into God's word, let's pray. I'll pray corporately over us, but would you pray, man of God, woman of God, over your life, over your heart, over your unique opportunities and obstacles that you might be going through or up against. God sees, he knows, he cares about where you are, about who he's called you to be, and become, and about what he's called you to do with your life. And so, Lord, we thank you. It's a privilege, it's an honor. We don't take it for granted, the opportunity to be gathered together in this room and all around the world online. Lord, as your people, thank you for your presence here already today in our worship, God. Thank you now as we open up your word, which is filled with your promises. Would you speak to us? Would you speak to us, God? Would you cause us, Lord, would you challenge us to grow in our faith, to begin to look more and more like Christ? and to embrace, Lord, the life that you've called us to live. God, anyone who's maybe hindered from pursuing their faith and living out their faith because they're hurting or weak or weary or wounded, God, in any area of their life, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, God, thank you that today, Lord, through the preaching of your word, Lord, would you bring healing, would you bring hope, would you bring freedom, would you bring strength, would you bring courage and faith for the future that every one of us has in you, God. Lord, right now, just surrender, what I've prepared today, God, would you use an imperfect preacher, an imperfect message to just in a new or fresh or deeper way reveal the perfect heart of the Father today in this place in Jesus' name? Come on. If I receive any or all of that for yourself, give the Lord a good amen. amen. Ephesians chapter 2. I want to talk to you today about living a life that leaves a legacy. That we're called to go beyond believing in God. We're called to go beyond just being church attenders. That we are called, I'll show you in God's word, that we are saved. To accomplish and fulfill a purpose, a ministry, a destiny, a plan that God has for each of us, even before we got saved, getting saved connects us to it. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, watch what it says. It says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Come on, how many of you are grateful for the grace of God, that we're saved by the grace of God? We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't get good to get God. It's the grace, the unmerited grace of Jesus Christ that we just respond to in faith. And it says, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, a free gift, not by works so that no one can boast. For for, Catch this. We are God's handiwork. Your translation might say masterpiece. Did you know you're God's masterpiece? And it says, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Catch this. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're saved by grace, but when you got saved, eternity is settled, and I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for eternal life. Eternity is a long time. But it says right here, when you get born again, when you get recreated, when all the old things are passed away and you become a new creation, according to God's word, it is actually connecting you to a ministry, to good works, to a life of difference-making, that God has had for you in his heart and his, his mind even while you were lost. Forgiveness was your urgent need, my urgent need. Come on, you know it's true. But the ultimate goal of God is to transform us into kingdom-building, difference-making disciples, to a, to a life of living out our faith, to a life of leaving a legacy. You know, there are, there's an abundance of substance behind the name Rev City. A few years ago when the Lord really began speaking and encouraging us to kind of follow through on something, the Lord had been speaking for an extended season about a new name for a new season for this precious church family that has an amazing, vibrant heritage going back to the early 70s. And he began to call us to become known for what we were called to accomplish and fulfill as a church body, as a family of believers. And he renamed us Rev City. We're called to Revive Hearts. By revealing Jesus. We have a heart and we're on a mission to see this city and this region see revival in Christ. We're called to lead a revolution of faith and family. Come on, how many believe that our culture needs a revolution of faith and family? We're called to lead a revolution or reverence for God, restored for God and God's word, to see reverence for God and his word restored. But amongst all that substance, I want to encourage you with something today. Don't miss the fact that when God renamed us Rev City Church, he actually very uniquely, and I think intentionally, and quite kind of um, kind of rarely named us using a verb, the word Rev. If you think about it, it's not common. Most churches are named with nouns. But he named us using a verb. And just the definition of Rev in itself is significant. Listen to what the definition of rev is to make more active or effective, to make more lively or productive, to accelerate or increase, to become more excited, especially in anticipation of a coming event. How many know that Jesus is coming back and that's a good thing to be excited about and that's a good thing to have expectation about? Synonyms of the word rev include these to advance. Further, to quicken, to expedite, to stimulate, to stir up, to spur, to step up, to increase, to fire up, to drive, to impel, precipitate, to forward, to ignite, to liven up, perk up, wake up, and to make more active. That's who God's called you and I to be as Rev City Church. We're called to live out an active life of faith. Come on, let's agree, and let's determine, and let's hold one another accountable that we will never allow ourselves to become the frozen chosen that as pastors, our responsibility, Pastor Eddie, Pastor Micah, myself, those of you who step into those roles in the future, Pastor Peter, our job is not just to do the ministry, but turn a couple pages to the right, Ephesians chapter four, that one of our key responsibilities, one of my key responsibilities, I'm missing the mark if I'm just the only one doing the ministry. Part of my responsibility is to equip you to do the ministry. Verse 11, chapter 4, book of Ephesians, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And just a few verses later, the significance of this to our personal growth in Christ is emphasized in verse 14, when it says, so the context is, pastor's, Training up and raising up and activating and releasing faith in every believer to understand there's a call, there's a purpose, there's a destiny, there's a ministry that God's called you to. Whether you believe it or not, there's a place that he's assigned you. There's a people that he's brought into your life. There's a sphere of influence that maybe only you can reach with the light and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in that context, watch what it says in verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. Come on, there's lots of that going around the church today. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they begin to sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Come on, how do you believe that that's what our culture desperately needs? The truth of Jesus Christ, but spoken in love. And it says growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We haven't done anyone any favors by allowing them to get saved and sit in church. We're called to equip every believer to step up, to step out, to live a life, to make a difference, to leave a legacy of faith. And as we do that, it says, we actually grow and mature and begin to look like Christ. Because you might say, well, Pastor T, that sounds good for you, that sounds good for others, but you don't understand, I'm a new believer, I'm a baby Christian. Colossians 1 addresses this in verse 6, where it says, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. Come on, that's what Heart for the Kingdom is about, us doing our part to ensure that what is written right here continues to happen. The gospel of grace that impacted my life, that saved this sinner, is still going around the world from Lawrence to our region, to our nation. Come on, to India, where we're partnering with that precious couple who are ministering in an area where there's intense persecution to believers. To Africa, Asia, Mexico, and Topeka. (laughs) Praise God. Leavenworth, Ottawa, Eudora, Baldwin City, come on. This message, the message that saved you, the message that saved me is intended to continue to go about, watch what it says, bearing fruit everywhere, someone say everywhere, Everywhere. by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day that you heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. In verse nine, so we've not stopped praying for you, Since we heard about you, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will, give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. If it was Paul's prayer for the Colossians, it's my prayer for you, that God would show you his will, that God would give you wisdom. Come on, you need wisdom today for living, for marriage, for family, and he would give you understanding. And watch what it says, verse 10, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. Come on, that sounds like a good life, right? All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Did you catch this? He says, as you begin to live out your faith, discover God's will, as you begin to walk in wisdom, as you begin to step out and do this, even as a new believer or a baby Christian, it's one of the pathways that we begin to grow and learn and know God better and better and begin to look more and more like Christ. Did you know we tend to think of it the other way around? So many people say, well, someday when I kind of deal with some things in my own life, I'll start to serve others. Someday, maybe when I kind of arrive in some ways, or some days when I maybe get through that season, I'll start to serve God. We tend to forget the all throughout the Bible. God had a way of calling people that were imperfect, unqualified, and unprepared. It's true, right? In fact, it's not the exception. It was the rule. And the same is true today. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And he, through his marvelous grace, has called you to a life of purpose and difference making. He's called us to be collectively and individually a church that builds the kingdom. He's called us to be a culture as a church that makes disciples to make a difference. He's called you to greatness, did you know that? Did you know God doesn't despise greatness? He resists pride, but he doesn't despise greatness. He just came and redefined the pathway to greatness when he said, the greatest among you must be a servant. Matthew 23. In a culture that's searching for fame and fortune, Striving for it, God's searching for faithful people. In a society that's striving for status and success, God's calling you to significance. In a world that is consumed with defining success by power, position, prestige, and possessions, God's calling you to discover a life of purpose. Saw a study recently Over the last 25 years, from 1998 to 2023, it studied amongst a broad group of people. It asked them this question, how many of you would consider the following values very important to your way of life, to your worldview? Very important. So from 1998 to 2003, they asked how many of you would consider patriotism very important? 68% of people said it was very important 25 years ago. 38% say it's important today. How many of you would say that having children and family is very important to, your, to the vision for your life? Down, in 20, over the course of just 25 years, down from 57% to 24%. How many of you would say that community involvement and engagement are very important to your way of life? Down from 45% to 22%. How many of you would say faith is important to your way of life down over the course of just 25 years from 59% to 38%? How many of you would say money is important to your way of life up from 29% to 41%? Something's got to change. Concerned, we look around the world today, we're getting the results and the headlines and the stories, The pain, the unfortunate things, all the ways that people are confused and lashing out all the division, leading to destruction, all those things. Go back to a drifting from what really matters in life. Go back to a a time where we begin to prioritize the things and the ways and the patterns and the definitions of what the world deems a success instead of what God calls success. It's not fame and fortune, it's faithfulness. It's not status and success, it's significance. It's not power, position, prestige, or possessions. It's purpose. A true purpose is found in serving and loving God and people. I want to make a strong statement. So I'll give a little bit of a caveat. I understand that there are situations, medically and chemically, imbalances and things that people struggle with and deal with. And and I'm not anti-medicine or doctors. I understand that there's some things that people struggle with, real legitimate physiological issues. But I also believe the strong statement that I'm about to speak to you is true. And that's this. The opposite of depression is not happiness. It's purpose. And we see a whole generation of This world filled with people grappling and wrestling with discouragement, depression, despair, suicide rates on the rise, identity confusion, attacking hearts and minds. Sadly, the headlines all too frequent. Even amongst those who have achieved the pinnacle of fame, fortune, and what the world deems as success. True purpose is found in serving and loving God and people. God's called you to live out your faith. God's called you to go public with your faith. God's given you a ministry, a sphere of influence, a place of influence, a, pr- a purpose in life. And I said, well, Pastor T, that sounds good, but can't I just love God and get along with my life? You remember in John chapter 21 where Jesus and Peter were talking and Jesus challenged Peter. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Remember? And Peter said, God, you know I love you. Jesus, you know I love you. And remember what Jesus said? He said, feed my sheep. And it says he asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And he said, well, God, you know I love you. And he said, tend my lambs. And the third time Jesus said it, the Bible accounts that that Peter rather was kind of getting a little frustrated with the constant question. Didn't you hear me, Jesus? He asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. You know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Here's the point. There's a lot we can extrapolate from that. There's some deep, profound truths that come from that passage. But the one thing that we can clearly extrapolate from it is that it's impossible to separate loving God and loving people. Some have tried, the result has been dead churches, lifeless churches, legalistic religion, or Christian people gathered together and hunkered down in holy huddles. And if we love God, We are called, there's no ifs, ands, or buts, or ways around it to serve and love people, to make a difference, to go and help, to be a blessing, to preach the gospel, to share the light, to be the hands, to be the feet of Jesus. And God does not despise greatness. He just resists pride. And servanthood to God and others is the solution to pride. And more than ever, come on, hear me, church, we need servant-hearted Christians Men and women and young adults, come on, we need servant-minded, servant-hearted Christians stepping into places of influence in every arena of life. God doesn't despise greatness. He's just looking for people who, in humility, will go and serve others. We need to see men and women of God becoming leaders and thought shapers in the areas of business and finance and education, politics, come on, medicine, law, technology, and industry. We need influential Christian actors, authors, musicians, athletes, influencers. We need Christian entrepreneurs and business owners to prosper and bring resources into the body of Christ that fuel the initiatives, the missions, the ministries, the outreaches that are reaching people for Christ. We need Christian mothers and fathers to see that that's one of the most important assignments of servanthood of all. To see the incredible important significance of the greatness that lies within raising up those kids to know God, to serve God, to step into their God-given purpose and destiny. Pathway to greatness and servanthood, God's searching. There's a powerful scripture, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse nine. This is an amazing scripture. Some of you need to take a hold of this today. And it says this, the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth, to and fro throughout the earth, so he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. He's looking for people to strongly support. I, I, you know, I, I'm not big on making deals with God. You know how that goes, how that sounds. God, if you'll, then I'll. Have you ever done that with God? Come on, who's, I'm being honest, I've done it before. You know, God, if you'll get me out of this one, you know, I'll serve you with my life. And I'm not going to make deals with God, but I do think there's something powerful to recognizing the truth that lies within the scripture and saying, God, I'm giving you the heart of my business. God, I'm giving you the heart of my future. God, I'm giving you the heart of my enterprise. God, I'm giving you the heart of my industry. God, I'm giving you my heart. I'm surrendering it to you and I'm thanking you in advance that you would bless me, that you would find me, that you would pour out your favor and your grace and your goodness, that you would favor me, that you would do what 2 Chronicles 16:9 says, show your strong support on my behalf because my heart is yours my finances are yours my time my talent my treasure first and foremost i recognize they're yours can you imagine what it would look like for a church for a culture of people to begin to rediscover or recommit ourselves to that truth god i I don't want to exist for myself i don't want to do what the world says i don't want to try to just gather to myself i want to be blessed by you so i can be a blessing The pathway to greatness is servanthood, and God does not despise greatness. He just resists pride. We tend to assign servanthood with certain tasks or jobs, like service industry jobs. This really misses the mark. And we read about it in Philippians chapter 2, referring to Jesus himself. It's an extreme example, but it makes a powerful point. There's a principle, don't be selfish, it says, verse 3, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your interests, but take an interest in others too. It's what we're trying to do as a church. We could just pour all the resources into things that just benefit us, but we're trying to think that God has a plan and a purpose for us as a church family to ensure that the gospel continues to go all throughout the earth. He says, take an interest in others too. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Well, catch this. What, what's the attitude? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. Your translation might say servant or bondservant. Jesus was fully God, yet he came as a servant. Servanthood is not about position, it's about attitude. You could be the janitor with a sorry attitude but you could be the CEO, the president of the board, you could be the head honcho, and you can be an example of Christ-like servanthood and selflessness. Servanthood is not about position, it's a mindset, it's an attitude, it's a determination, it's a commitment to say I realized that Jesus, if he came and he was fully God and he laid it all down to come and serve me even while I was lost in my sin. God, what else can I do now? But take the opportunities the invitations, the people that you've invested in my life, say, God, would you help me to do the same? To approach them through servanthood. I say, Pastor, gee, that sounds fine for missionaries and pastors that I see how that relates. Well, watch this, catch us what Colossians chapter 3 says. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, what has God called you to do? Where has God placed you in this season? He says, just begin to take that thing. It's not about some future tense thing. Someday I'll get the ministry. Someday I'll serve God. Someday I'll get a place where I'm comfortable enough that I'll start to give to God. Someday, he says, no, whatever you do in this season, whatever he's called you to, the people he's placed you with, what he's called you to put your hands to, work at it with all your heart as working to the Lord. Especially as young adults, a lot of them sitting over here, we tend to worry or stress about what we're going to do with our lives. It's, It's a valid concern. God will lead you, God will show you. But the more important question perhaps is not what you're going to do, but why you're going to do it and who you're going to do it for. If you begin to break this off, this pattern of the world that is consumed with self and you begin to say, God, whatever it is you call me to do, if I'm sweeping the floors, if I'm leading the boardroom or anything in between, I'm gonna do it for your glory and I'm gonna do it to be a blessing to others. You better just watch out because the favor of God, the blessing of God, the provision of God, the goodness of God, the protection of God, the direction of God is on its way to you according to 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9. He's looking for people who will give their hearts, their businesses, their finances, their futures, their jobs, their careers, their ministry to God, who will say, God, my heart is yours. He's looking for people to show up and strongly support. Someone's got to take a hold of this today. Watch what it does. It might not happen instantaneously. There might be some immediate testimonies of how you begin to see God open doors or begin to pour out his blessing upon your life. But I promise you, if you'll commit to this and you'll do it with perseverance and consistency, you'll do what the Bible says. Don't grow weary in doing good. In due season, you'll reap a harvest. You'll look up one day and you'll say, wow, look what the Lord has done. God doesn't despise greatness. He just redefined the pathway to greatness. It's by serving, serving your spouse, serving your family, serving your coworkers, serving this church body, literally serving the world through Heart for the Kingdom. You give anything to Heart for the Kingdom, you have a part in all those things. Helping these precious moms through Embrace Grace I walked in the other day and the whole staff hallway between two offices was just filled floor to ceiling with all these amazing gifts that had been beautifully wrapped that you guys had given for those precious moms who were experiencing an unexpected pregnancy. And we're coming alongside them telling them that what you're going through right now isn't going to define your future. There's hope. There's a way. There's a people who will come alongside you, resource you, encourage you. Would you just choose life for that precious baby and give him or her a chance to discover his destiny or his or her purpose, and destiny in life. You're making a difference. You're called to live out your faith, to leave a legacy. And the day to step into this is now. The time is now. The enemy almost always, I've seen so many people get tripped up through procrastination and presumption. Here's what that sounds like or looks like. Someday I'll serve God. Or one day I'll serve God. Did you know that you're not even guaranteed tomorrow? The enemy operates through procrastination and presumption. In my experience, so many people have good intentions about serving God or serving people, giving resources, stepping out and serving in ministry, but have fallen prey to the someday or one day mentality. If the enemy hinders us through procrastination and presumption, God calls us to priority and pursuit. Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-three: Seek first. Did you see that? Seek. That's that's pursuit. Seek after this. It's not going to just fall in your lap all the time. You might have to say, God, would you begin to lead me, show me, inspire me on how I can begin to step up, make a difference, live a life that leaves a legacy. Seek first. That has to do with priority in the midst of all the good things that God's maybe called you to do: your work, sports, career, kids, school, all the things. Make God first. And in the, the context of that scripture, Matthew six thirty three, if you go back and read the pretext, because it says all these things will be given to you as well. All these things are the things that we need in life: clothes, food, money, possess, all the things. He says, if you'll put me first and if you'll seek me first, just watch how I'll take care of you. He meets our needs. When God gets the first of our time, our talent, and our treasure, we get God's best, His provision, His protection, His direction. You're called to live a life that leaves a legacy. A few years ago, I preached on legacy for several weeks, and I I looked this up. Oftentimes, I'll just look into the definition of a word. It kind of helps unpack the truth for us, whether it's a biblical word or just a word kind of within a text. And I looked up the word legacy as I was preparing to preach on legacy, and I was astounded at just how inferior, imperfect, and incomplete, from God's perspective, the definition that the world has subscribed to legacy was. That was a few years ago. I thought, i would look it up this morning. I thought, surely it's changed. And I typed it in, and sure enough, the exact same verbatim definition popped up as the first result. Want me to read it to you? Here's what it says. Legacy. Definition of legacy. If you use the same browser as me, you'll probably find the same thing. Definition of legacy. Catch this out. This is what the world thinks legacy is. Watch. An amount of money or property left to someone in a will. Really? Is that all it is? Is it possible that that perspective, that viewpoint, is one of the reasons we have all the problems that we have in our culture today? Because we don't understand that there's so much more than the things and the stuff and the possessions. Come on, I want you to be blessed, to be a blessing. The Bible says to leave an inheritance to your kids, kids, and I think it ought to be physical and spiritual, but if you give them the physical and you don't give them the spiritual, the Bible says that what, you could gain the whole world and lose your soul And let me encourage you, let me challenge you with something. Someone ought to write this down, someone ought to embrace this as one of your life goals, based on or inspired by this statement, what you leave in the next generation matters much more than what you leave for them. You could leave them a mountain of money and they could lose their very soul. You could leave them something very modest, but if they know God and they know he's good and they know he's faithful and they know they were created by him on purpose, for a purpose, you've left them with a lot. Matthew 6, verse 19 says, do not store up treasures on earth where moths eat them, where rust destroy them, where thieves break in and steal them, or where banks collapse and you lose them. Come on, Keep it real there. In our culture, you can see it in the headlines, financial calamity and clay, banks on the brink of collapsing. This is not a fear-based message, but this is an encouragement from a preacher who is trying to preach the word of God that you had better put your faith in Christ and not the systems of the world. We could store up everything for ourselves and look up and one day it's gone. The late Reverend Billy Graham, I think was attributed with saying something, he said, you won't find a U-Haul being drugged by a hearse. You can't take it with you. Store up your treasures in heaven, where moss and rust cannot destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. I know this is kind of a challenging message, but let me encourage you with something that I believe to be true. In an effort to be seeker friendly, or gather bigger crowds, churches that have minimized or watered down the message, the call, the command, the challenge, the charge to serve and give your life away, to give your time, to give your talent, to give your treasure, we have not done anyone any favors. Churches that fail to call people to a life of serving and giving will fail to make disciples. You can't follow Christ unless you're going the direction he's going. And he is absolutely the truest example that ever has and ever will exist of what it looks like to selflessly and sacrificially serve and give. The greatest way to leave a lasting legacy is to live out your faith. Serve others, serve God give to God's kingdom go and be a blessing become a part of something that's bigger than you become a part of something that goes beyond you become a part become invested in something that will live beyond you what I acquire and what I do for myself will die with me what I do and what I give to others will live beyond me I don't know about you I want to leave a legacy. I trust that you do. It's time for us to break free of the way that the world says that we do that. And begin to do it in the name of, for the glory of, and for the good of God and his people. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to do, do a few things a little bit different, maybe a little different order today. We're going to give our offerings here in a moment just as a way to just kind of distinguish this special season of highlighting the Heart for the Kingdom vision and all the initiatives that we're asking you to generously support. But first, before we do that, together as a church family, man, one of the things that we have a strong conviction about is being an evangelistic church, man, regardless of what we're preaching on. We're gonna give people the opportunity every time, every time we gather to give their hearts to Christ, to be forgiven, to be made whole, to be made new to have the weight of guilt and sin and shame and the condemnation the enemy tries to use because of our past, to keep us held back and hindered from running the race of faith that God has outlined for us. To say yes to the free gift of Jesus and be forgiven, completely forgiven, made new, all the old things, all the past things, washed away, forgiven completely. And you're given a new lease, a new opportunity on life To be born again is what the Bible says. So maybe that's you, you're here today and you're weighed down with sin, with your past. Or maybe you're here today and you've drifted from God. You've kind of fallen prey to what the world has assigned and defined is what it looks like to be a success. You've gotten caught up with the temporal things of this earth. And today, you once knew God, loved God, served God, you've just drifted. You're what the Bible describes as a prodigal son or daughter. And today, if that's you, the heart of the Father is the same towards you. As it was towards that prodigal son, he's just waiting. He's not gonna hold you at arm's length and hold you to an account for all the things you've done while you've been in rebellion to him or while you've drifted from him. You go back and reread it, that prodigal son came, took one step onto the father's property and that father came running. Put his arms wide open, embrace that, that wayward one, call the party, put a royal robe on his back, put a royal ring upon his finger just welcomed him home that's the that's the posture that's the heart of the father towards you today if you've drifted from him so right now here's what i want to ask you to do if you're weighed down you need the free gift of forgiveness through jesus christ because of the love of the father he sent jesus to come after you even while you were far from him or you've drifted from god and today's the day you know your your heart's beating you know today's the day god's calling you back into a relationship with him right now here's what i want to ask you to do people lift your hand lift your hand respond say that's me I need forgiveness. That's me. I'm coming home. In this room and online, I think it's powerfully important you would just take the simple outward sign, outward act of a powerful inward work that God's doing in your heart. And so precious people are responding to God, to his call. He's knocking on the door of people's hearts today. People are answering. He's coming into their hearts today, bringing forgiveness, bringing healing, bringing hope. If you raised your hand in this room and online, you could lower them. And here's what we're going to do. Come on, let's do this boldly today. Let's pray this prayer with these precious people. We do it for two reasons every week. We want to just show them. There's a church family that's going to come alongside them and encourage them and help them. If you stumble, we'll help you to get back up and keep moving forward. And the second reason we do it every week is it just reminds us every week we don't graduate from grace. We don't outgrow grace. We need the grace of God today as much as we ever have. So come on, some amazing people. Let's pray this with some fresh fervency in our heart today. Repeat after me and say, Father, in Jesus' mighty name, I recognize my need for a savior. And I thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price I could never pay, to make a way that I might have a new life and a fresh start. I give you my life, I give you my trust. And because of Jesus, Come on, say this loudly. I'll never be the same. And then can we put our hands together with all of heaven, just rejoice for people. That's a big deal.